Good morning. Welcome to Seacoast. I'm glad you got out of bed and uh, welcome if you came early to the nine o'clock service. Welcome. (laughs) Hey, open your Bibles. Bad joke. Open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter four today as we continue our Go series, God's Call for Ordinary People in Everyday Life. We're going to go to Ephesians four and look at what it means today to go, not just by yourself, but to realize that go is as I say on the outline, a team sport. So pray with me. Father God, thanks for your word. Thanks for the wisdom of it. Every week as we worship you, one of the ways we worship here at Seacoast is to say, God, teach us. Uh, Speak to us through your word. Give us wisdom that we need to understand life and to live out what it means to be a follower of Jesus. God, we get confused and our culture often confuses us and Even church confuses us, so we pray that you would bring some more clarity to what it means to follow you, and we ask you to do that in Christ's name, amen. There's no doubt the biggest day of the year for college, or not college, but professional football fans is when? Super Bowl Sunday, right? It's been said the second biggest day of the year is April, coming up this year, on April 30th. Why would I say that? What two, three of you in the room even know what's coming up on April 30th? Answer? It's draft day. Yeah, it's draft day. You know, draft day has become a huge thing in the NFL. In fact, draft day is actually not a day. It's now become what? Three days. It's a three-day event. They're actually talking about expanding it to four or five days next year, maybe. It is a huge event. It's covered by ESPN. It's covered by the networks. It's covered live. Because everyone that's an NFL fan, and if you're a Charger fan, any Charger fans in the room? Man, I love the Charger enthusiasm. (laughs) Come on. Okay, yeah, okay. I mean, I'm new here, only three years in San Diego. I'm more of a Charger fan than that, okay? Yeah, so if you're a Charger fan, though, you're, you know, every team has fans, and those fans pay attention on draft day. Because draft day is the renewal of hope. Draft day is the future. Draft day is the owners and the coaches put their heads together, and they decide out of all those athletes in the country, all those college guys coming out, they decide who are the few athletes that they're going to stake their future on. And especially the first round of the draft gets all the attention. In fact, the first day is is entirely devoted to the first round of the draft. You know, because it's, it's a huge investment that they make in these players. Last year, 2014's draft, the number one pick in the draft was a guy named Jadavian Clowney. Now, who would expect a guy named Clowney to be the first draft, okay? Uh, talented defensive end, uh, taken by Houston, very first draft. Now, if you were to go and watch what happens on draft day, it looks like this. You see these names called out. They have an auditorium set up where all the players that expect to be drafted, especially the first round guys, are there. They're dressed up. They're ready to be welcomed to a new team. They're wondering which team's going to take me. And they have their families and friends with them. Often there's remote cameras going off to remote locations showing you their, their gatherings at their own universities. And, and all of a sudden the name is called and that number one round, first round draft pick for every team is a huge thing. 
Clowney signed a contract after that, okay? Uh, he, he comes up on stage. He gives a hug to, to a Roger Goodell. He gives the, you know, the, uh, the uh, what is he anyway? The, um, thank you. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm off my game today. No pun intended. Um, the commissioner of the NFL. And he'll get a, a good handshake or a hug. He'll, he'll be embraced by the coach or owner usually of the new team. And he'll put his hat on and, and he is proud that day to be a charger. Or he is proud to be with whatever team drafts him. Now, he's also proud to sign a contract for $22 million. (laughs) Which is why he's even more pumped up. Because these teams draft players that they feel can make an impact. Can make a difference. And they pay big money for it. Now, if you're a Charger fan, and let's say the Chargers go out and they make their selection. I think they're the 17th selection this year in the draft. And they draft somebody and they pay out big dollars. Last year, they drafted a little lower in the, in the I think they were the 24th pick last year. They only had to pay $8 million for their draftee. But, you know, they're paying anywhere from usually $8, $9, 10000000 million to $22 million to sign these athletes. And what if in the months following the signing of that athlete, what if you found out that, you know, he's been drafted by San Diego, no better place to, 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 to move to, to live, and, and the word is they've drafted, let's say, a really speedy, six foot three, 195-pound specimen of a wide out, a wide receiver. And, and next thing you know, you're noticing in the news that every shot of this guy is he's just kind of laying on the beach. And, and you know, in the first, where after he's drafted, he's laying on the beach and he's all ripped and he's in great shape and he's ready to play and he's excited to be a charger. And then you begin to notice, and a month later, he's still laying on the beach, but now he doesn't weigh 190. Now he weighs about 230. And his gut's starting to stick out. And he's just kind of partying every night and enjoying the fact he's an He's now a new San Diego resident millionaire. How would you feel about that if you're a Charger fan? What do you think? Yeah, not very well, right? Because what do you expect out of the person that you draft? Especially when you pay a high price for them. Give me some words. What do you expect? Results? Dedication? Discipline? Performance? Teamwork? So you expect that guy to come in and say, you know something, I want to make the guy that just laid out $22 million proud of me, and I want to make this city proud of me, and I want to make a difference for this team. I want to come in and help this team accomplish its goals. That's what you'd expect after $22 million, right? By the way, Clowney didn't have a good year last year. You know what? $22 million got the Houston... Houston uh, franchise four games and seven tackles out of their defensive end due to an injury those are expensive tackles can you imagine that why do I use this story to launch us into Ephesians 4 well listen to how it begins therefore I, as a prisoner of the Lord, verse 1, I beg you, I implore you to walk in a manner worthy worthy of the calling with which you've been called. I beg you, walk in a manner worthy of the calling 
with which you've been called. Now, I want to take you back to chapter 1 to tell you what he's thinking about. When he talks about the fact that we have been called by Christ, here is what he's talking about. Chapter 1, verse 3 gives the short summary. And listen for words that sound very much like draft words. Here we go. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is 1-3. Who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Just as He chose us, He drafted us, He selected us, is what it means. Just as He chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us to the adoption. There's another good draft word. He's adopted us into the family. He's chosen us. He's, and He's done it by His grace. Now, unlike my opening illustration, don't get confused, God didn't choose us because of our great performance in college. What God did, it says, was He chose us by His grace. He chose us even when we weren't elite athletes. But He chose us, selected us, sent His Spirit to live in us. And in fact, it even goes on, I love this phrase in verse 7, in Christ we have redemption through His blood. We'll celebrate that at communion later. He redeems us. He purchases us. He says we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our sins, according to the riches of, the gra- of His grace, which He lavished on us. According to the riches of His grace, which He lavished on us. He spared no expense to bring us to His team. And now in Ephesians 4, having studied that, and really Ephesians 1 through 3 just kind of further unpacks what it means to experience the lavish riches of His grace. So Christ, by His grace, has given you life. But He's not just given you life, He has chose you and adopted you into His family, placed you on a team called the church. And now in chapter 4, he begins to say, therefore. Therefore, in light of all the lavish grace of God that's been poured out on us to give us life and to choose us and and adopt us and, and draft us onto the team, how are we to behave? And now in chapter 4, verses 1 to 16, we're going to see five principles. And I'm going to give you a sixth one that's a freebie from chapter 6. But I want to show you five principles that I hope can help you Imagine what it means to know Christ and then to live in response to that. Okay, here we go. First one, no, no, no guess is needed here, is that you have been drafted by God, so live like it. You have been drafted by God, so live like it. I read the verse a little bit ago, chapter 4, verse 1. He says, walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called. And the, and the imagery is very much one of when someone has given you this kind of a gift, and they've paid this kind of a price to bring you onto their family, into their family or onto their team, then for heaven's sakes, live like it. Live like it. And we'll begin to understand what that means as you go on through the rest of the passage. To live like it, number one, is this. To realize that you are now a part of a team. Therefore, love like it, or to love one another. And he, and he explains this, um, this new relationship that a Christian has to their teammates in verses 2 to 6. He says this, Walk in a manner worthy of your calling. What's that mean? With all humility and gentleness, with patience, 
showing tolerance or forbearance to one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And the idea is because you are unified, not by your commonalities as people, but your commonalities in Christ. And he gives a, 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 a quick summary of those in 4-6. to six. There is one body of Christ, not more, one. We're all part of one body, i.e. one team. We have one spirit that we share, that Christ sends His Spirit to live in us. Just as we were all called in one hope of our calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father, who's over all of us and through all of us and in all of us. So that unity in Christ, he says, leads to unity of lifestyle that we have to work to preserve. And the reason for that is teammates often don't get along. Because they come onto the team with different experiences. They come onto the team with different backgrounds. They come onto the team with some different thinking sometimes. And, and he says, look, the unity of the team really matters. So number one, realize, wow, God drafted you to be a part of the family of God or to be a part of this morning's metaphor, to be part of his team. And in light of that, understand that you are a part of something that's bigger than just you. One of the weaknesses of American Christianity is our emphasis on individualism. That we think, you know something? It's just me and God. It's my business and no one else's. And how I relate to God and how I live my life really isn't any of your business or anyone's business because it's just kind of me and God. And the reality is this passage says, no, 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 no. It's not just you and God. It's you and God and the team that God drafted you to be part of. And it matters. There's no doubt that in sports, one of the things you will hear every year when any team wins a championship, it's always about the team. And consistently, that's pretty much been proven true in about any sport. Uh, you will see teams that have excellent individuals on the team go pretty high, but they'll usually not make it all the way to the championship unless they're not only gifted, but those gifted players learn how to realize it's not about me, it's about the team. And they play as a team, and they work as a team, and they support each other, and they encourage each other, and they push each other to train harder and to really seek to excel. And, 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 and they depend on each other. I think a famous quote by Belichick this past year, when they won again, barely, okay, I'm still a little angry, with Pete Carroll, but I'm getting over it, okay? But the reality is when Belichick won, you know, one of the things he said was he said, you know, it's, I tell the players, just do what? You know the saying? Just do your job. Just focus on doing your job, and if each of us focuses on their individual job with their individual strengths, you do your job well, and you trust those around you to do their jobs, and as a team, we will win. And in a way, there's a great analogy of that. But it is one reason why. I mean, Jesus hinted at this. In fact, he was pretty blatant about it in John 13 when Jesus said, he says, hey, I want you to love God with all your heart. But then also, he says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. The same grace that you experience from God, you've got to give to other people. If you're going to call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ, You've got to be full of truth, but full of grace. You've got to be willing to love one another as I have loved you. Serve one another as I have served you. Forgive one another as I have forgiven you. And that's what brings any church uh, a vibrant presence in the community. So if we're going to be a church that goes, number one, realize you've been drafted by God. 
you are not just you and God. You are a part of a team. Love one another. Number three, the third observation in this passage is, begin, is really captured in verse 7. It's, it's, it's kind of expounded on through verse 10, but let me just limit you to verse 7. He says, but even though we're one, we're one team, but yet to each one of us, grace has been given according to the measure of Christ's gift. It's a passage that then goes on to talk about how Jesus died, rose again, and then ascended back to heaven and then gave gifts to men. And it talks about the giving of spiritual gifts to each of us in the body of Christ or on the team. In other words, the point is you are gifted by God, play to your strengths. The command here is that we have gifts, we have talents, we, don't, we didn't earn them. They're called gifts of grace. You're saved by grace, but you're also gifted by grace. So whatever talents individually that each of us have, there's no room to be proud. There's certainly no room to think I'm more important than you are or this person is. In fact, Scripture is very clear about saying that when it comes to the working, the effective ministry and working of of the church, it's about us appreciating one another. It doesn't matter whether you're helping serve coffee, whether you're helping greet people, helping love on kids and hold babies, whether you're teaching our children, working with our youth, playing the music, running the tech stuff in the back. Or better yet, what about the hundreds of ways that each of us can go and use our talents and skills out there beyond the church as representatives in our everyday world of Jesus Christ? We're all needed. There's not a single person in this room that doesn't have spiritual gifts that are needed for the effective going of Seacoast. Whether it's going to Africa, going to Encinitas, going to Carlsbad, doesn't matter. You are gifted by God, and you're gifted and called to play and use your strengths. Now, stop for a second and just think, what would that look like? I mean, imagine if every one of us, and don't just think of your gifts as spiritual gifts. I think, of, I think personally it's broader than that because I think the natural talents that you're born with are gifts from God. I think any spiritual talents or abilities he gives you are gifts from God. I think that life is a gift from God. So when you think about what are you best at? Every one of you in this room, now some of you are not thinking, I don't think I'm very good at anything, okay? Now if you slow down and really think, you'll begin to think, what am I best at? And what if each of us took what we are best at? I don't care what it is, okay? And then you ask the question, how can I use what I'm best at to help advance the ministry of Seacoast and the ministry of Christ in and around our city? What if I took what I'm best at and didn't just use it to make a living, didn't just use it to feed my family, didn't just use it to accomplish what I do in school or at work or, you know, in the neighborhood. What if I actually used what I'm best at to say, God, show me opportunities to use this to serve other people, love on the city of Encinitas and its surrounding areas. What what would that look like? I think that gets real exciting. Because now, let me take it one step further. What if I actually said, how can I combine what I'm really best at 
with what someone else is good at? And what if as teams we look for opportunities to love on our city? That gets really exciting. Let me just plant that thought. We'll come back to it. So number one, this passage teaches us so far three things. Number one, if you're a follower of Jesus, God spent big bucks on you. He drafted you, and what did he spend to give you life? Answer, his life, the life of his son. In fact, there's a great passage in Peter that says this, for God has redeemed us not with, not with uh, things like silver and gold, but with much more precious things like the blood of Christ, the life of Christ. So when we think about you, and, and I talk about some draft choice in the NFL who's paid millions of dollars to go out and try to win a game that at the end of the day, dare I say this, doesn't really matter. It doesn't really matter. But yet the Apostle Paul said, we compete as Christians. We're involved in a game that's got really high stakes. We're involved in a game where we are dealing with a prize and that prize is the kingdom of God and serving Christ and expanding his kingdom. And the prize is bringing people into an eternal relationship with Jesus Christ that will change not just their life, but their eternity. Now that is a game worth playing. So the reality is we are gifted by God. Use your strengths. Now to do that, what's needed? And then the passage continues. Because right now, if I can read some of your minds, some of you are thinking, okay, Dale, you're telling me I've got these strengths, and you're telling me to go use them, but I don't think I'm up for that. I don't think I'm ready for that. Well, guess what? A lot of athletes aren't ready for that. So what do they do? Here it is. God says, okay, I'm not just going to give all of you gifts. Jump down to verse 11. He says, and I'm going to give some of you and to some he gave gifts of like apostle and prophet and evangelists and pastors and teachers. In other words, some people are gifted to play the game. In fact, I think all of us are gifted to play the game, but some are gifted to not only play the game. The fourth point here is that some are gifted to train others to play the game better. In other words, God provides what, what in our language of the morning would be called a player coach. And some of the common gifts that player coaches have is they're like missionaries or sent ones. That's what apostle means. They, they have leadership gifts and, and gifts for being sent out. There, there are pastors who have shepherding gifts. There are teachers who have teaching gifts. There are evangelists who have gifts for not just sharing their faith, but helping you and I understand how to share our faith. And these are equipping type gifts. In fact, there's four phrases for what these type of player coaches do. Here are the four phrases. It's for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ or maturing of, of these athletes for Christ, and the growing into or following the head, the owner, the coach, which is Jesus himself. Listen to the language. Pick it up in verse 14. Now, pick it up, excuse me. Let's pick it up in verse 12. He says, these gifted player coaches are, are given to the church for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all, that is every player on the team, attains the unity of the faith, 
the knowledge of the Son of God. We go deeper in our knowledge of Jesus to be a mature man to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. And what that's describing, in essence, is spiritual maturity, spiritual fitness, the ability, by the grace of God, to grow up in your faith. So you get so excited about the gospel and the, and the lavishing of the riches of God. Oh my gosh, I can't believe the owner paid that price for me and drafted me onto the team. Why in the world do you do that? Well, he did that because he has a vision for you, not as you are when he drafts you, but for what you will become. And then that process is you link up with the team and you begin to love one another on the team and and then you begin to understand what your strengths are and what your gifts are and then to help develop that and, and, and disciple you or grow you in that, God provides some of these player coaches I love that. Some churches would call this mentors. This is a mentor or a coach. I like the coaching analogy. Some churches would call this shepherds. And that's another good word. But the reality is I like the word coach because I was never a shepherd. I never owned a sheep. But I've played on some teams. And I know the value of having a good coach. You know, and, and, and God provides spiritual coaches. In essence, I believe that our staff and elders and many of you out there who have coaching abilities and gifts, are really called not just to do ministry, but to help others do ministry. I call it spiritual coaches. And the goal of that spiritual coach is to equip every single follower of Jesus to discover and use the gifts that God's given you. Not just to be on the team, but to make a difference. See, this is where I love the sports analogy as I studied this passage. Because what he's saying is this, the goal is to actually win some games. The goal is not just to, hey, we have the best looking team. I mean, they really look good, but they can't win, okay? Most owners would not be real happy with that. Therefore, what's the objective? The objective is verse 16. Look at it. Verse 16 says this. It says, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by that which every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Now, he's, he's using the, the body metaphor for the church. He's saying the church is like the body of Christ on planet Earth, okay? So the body has all these different parts, but the goal is for the body to be healthy and growing healthy and growing and and as it grows and matures it expands it grows uh, as as each individual part contributes so therefore my fifth point from this passage is that you win as a team as each one serves together in love for the building up of the body of christ ephesians 4 16 what he's saying is that every player matters but also, every player needs coaching. And every player needs encouragement. You know, I had, uh, I had some great coaches when I was coming through uh, my years in high school. I didn't play sports in an organized way since high school. But I had some great memories. And uh, I had some great coaches. And those coaches uh, sometimes weren't even very good at playing the game. They had long since out, kind of outlived their 
productiveness in really playing the game. But yet, here's what they could do. They could meet with a guy, and they could help people see, uh, you know, where I was strong and where I was weak. And they could help me determine how to best use my strengths as a part of the team. And, uh, and they would, you know, I had visions of being a running back in high school, for example. Can you just go ahead and laugh right now? Get it out of the way, okay? But I was pretty fast in high school. I was actually the fastest of all of our linemen. It helped that I only weighed 165 pounds. So, you know, yeah, I was a small guy, but I was a lineman. But I had coaches that would teach me how to play the game. Uh, you know, and even though I was a little guy and I wasn't all, all that talented, I wasn't that fast or that strong. In fact, I would have been a Division I college football player if it wasn't for simply the fact, three things. I'll just tell you right now. The only thing was that I was too small, too slow, and not mean enough. Okay, apart from that, I was a great player. So, you know, but I had coaches that, number one, loved me. I had coaches that cared about me. They didn't just care about me as a player. They cared about me as a person. I had a coach named Jim McGee that uh, to this day, most of the guys from my era that had him as a coach, they actually asked him to speak at their funerals and because uh, he actually went from coaching to being a pastor after he retired from teaching and coaching for all those years. So in his 60s, he retired as a, as a career in education and actually shifted right into a pastoral role, which never surprised us because he was always as much a pastor as he was a coach. He loved us, but he also pushed me. He nicknamed me in junior high school. Are you ready for this? I've never told an audience this in my life. My wife doesn't even know this, I don't think. He nicknamed me Dale. What rhymes with Dale? Snail. Thank you. He nicknamed me Dale the Snail. You know, after I ran an obstacle course that we were required to do in PE class and dragged my sad body through that thing. Now, you know, you got to understand, I had an older brother that was not Dale the Snail. My older brother played football. My older brother also ran on the 440 relay team and had Division I scholarship offers. So when I was called Dale the Snail, that really wounded me. But it also kicked me in the backside and got me going. And, and then by the time I was a senior in high school, a few years later, I was the fastest lineman on the team and I was the uh, co-captain of the team and ended up, and this would really shock you, ended up actually getting some uh, all-state recognition, uh, you know, because of, of my play. Now, I didn't go on to play, thank God, at the D1 level. But here's the deal. My, that happened only because I had a coach who pushed me. He said, Dale, you are not giving it your best. Dale, you can become a better athlete than you are. Dale, here's what you need to do to get better. And, and this, this coach loved me, pushed me, and also encouraged and pointed me toward the things that would grow me as an athlete. And as a result, we had a pretty fun time when I was a senior. Now, spiritually, I think the parallel is there. Because I think we need someone in our life that if we're going to win as a team, you've got to understand we need some people in our lives that are coaching us. Now, before I show you the end of the message, I want to just say one more thing, and that is this. The analogy breaks down from, uh, from football to life, 
and spiritual, spirituality into in, in this. Well, maybe it isn't a breakdown. And that's this. As we advance the kingdom, we only advance the kingdom if our team stays dependent upon Christ. Now, why do I say that? Um, I just wanted to not leave this passage without jumping ahead to how Ephesians ends. Because after challenging the church to be a team and to, and to expand the kingdom and do ministry and, 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 and work out of our gifts and to grow to be more like Christ and, and, and to grow the church and the body of Christ, Ephesians 6 says this, for our battle, it says, look, be finally, in fact, it begins with the word finally, verse 10. It says, finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. For our battle is not against flesh and blood, but, but against uh, powers of darkness in heavenly places. And, and he basically describes the fact that, hey, guess what? When you go out to try to advance the kingdom of God, we have an enemy. And that enemy is stronger than you. But he's not stronger than Christ. So we need to be prayerful, humble, dependent upon Christ as you try to follow him in today's world. So it calls us to be prayerful and humble and dependent and to walk by the power of his spirit, not in our own strength, as we try to advance the kingdom, as we try to do that. So what's our game plan here at Seacoast? I think our game plan is basically this, that if I were to coach you right now, it would be, it would be a couple of things. Number one, make worship a priority. We want to continue to challenge you to worship the Lord, but to, to do it not only weekly, but daily. A discipline of personal time when you open God's word and read it and ask God to speak and teach into your life and, and you do the, the encounters with God that help you reflect back on the sermon because Sunday morning sermons will seldom change your life. Can I just admit that? I've been doing these things for years. Ryan and I would both say it's not our sermons, it's you're taking that message and then getting into the word of God for yourself that's going to grow you. You know, I don't know any elite athlete that would try to survive on one meal a week. You've got to eat more often than that. Feed on the word. Make worship a priority. Number two, connect to life groups. But here's the different twist I want to give to it. And that is we need to be connecting to life groups so that we grow in order to go. Grow in order to go. I think that's different from the way most churches and perhaps even a little different than we have, have taught this in the past. We've always believed this, but we're elevating that this year in our, in our, in our, in our ministries that we're, that we're in, envisioning. Is that we need to realize you don't just gather in a life group so that you can help one another survive life. Help one another be happy. Help one another be even kind of spiritually you might say spiritually fit or healthy and, and, and you know, for therapy and, 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 and care and, and, you know, and all that stuff is, is okay, but ultimately you are equipped by the God who drafted you, who paid the blood of Christ to have you have life. He has chosen you so that and gifted you so that you can then go and make a difference in your everyday world and as a church. See, what if you had that draft choice 
And the owner pays for that draft choice. And then the draft choice says, you know, I'm just thrilled to sign on and be a charger. I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled to be on the team. I'm thrilled to wear the jersey. I'm thrilled to, 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 uh, to cheer my team on. But I'm really very, very content just to sit on the end of the bench. Uh, yeah, I mean, because you know, I, I, don't, I don't need more than this. This is all that I need. Just to sit on the bench and be a charger till I die. And, uh, or, worse yet, I'm drafted and the guy's not sitting on the bench. He's sitting in the stands watching the rest of the team play. See, we would think, that's crazy. Why would an owner even put up with that? See, the, the, the fact is, Jesus Christ gave His life for you and me, gave us life by His grace so that we might walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which we've been called. Live up to your draft status. Go. Go into our everyday world and make a difference. That's the big idea. I think we need to retool our life groups to think more how can we encourage one another to be going? You know, who are you praying for that needs Christ that is in your circle of relationships? Who are you reaching out to to love? When you see a need in your community, maybe you see a need in your neighborhood and you say, you know, so I'm not just going to meet the need. I'm going to go as a team. I want to ask my life group to help me meet this need. See, so often we think as individuals, and I think what this passage is saying, if we learn to love on our city, love on our neighborhoods in, in creative ways, using the gifts God's given us, and then combining those with the gifts that God gives others, man, this, this just begins to blow my mind in terms of how it could be, how it can make an impact uh, on the city of Encinitas and beyond. That's, that's my dream. That's my dream. And I think that's what this passage is laying out. In the coming year, we're going to expose you to a, a really neat new discipleship tool that, that, uh, that Ryan actually developed, which we've really embraced as a staff team. We want to use it more in the coming years. So today, I'll just show it to you quickly. I've actually given it to you, printed out on the back of your outline. So if you do the five appointments this week, you'll see it. So you have your own copy. But here it is. And that's this. Instead of viewing discipleship as a, as, a, as a line where you start with Jesus and someday you end up in heaven, or whether even instead of viewing it as a, as a circle, uh, our staff kind of came up with this idea of viewing it as, as kind of an eight-track that you run. And it begins, let me just take you around it. If you look at the screen instead of the one in front of you, here we go. It begins with discovering Jesus. And you, and you come to know who Jesus is and what your identity is in Christ. But then you don't just stay there. You want to grow deeper in your knowledge of Christ and of your faith and grow in knowledge. And you get to know more about what you really believe. And then you grow through spiritual disciplines. You're growing in your relationship with Christ. And then you connect to a, to a group and you belong to a church and you belong to a smaller group that wants to run and grow together. And that bottom part of this, what I call the, what they call the eight track of discipleship is mostly focused on me growing myself toward maturity. But the problem is I think a lot of Christians just keep going around the bottom part of the diagram. What this diagram says is no, like a figure eight, you need to jump to the upper part where you're not, you might say the bottom part is more loving God, the upper part is more serving Christ and loving those around us. 
You go next to discover your calling. How are you gifted? How are you strength? What has Christ done in your life to, to equip you and give you gifts and experiences you can use in the lives of others? You go to serving Christ. Where can I use my skills to serve the body? You go to sharing Christ. How do I communicate the message of the gospel and the good news in the regular rhythms of my everyday normal life? And then you go eventually to multiply yourself where you actually become a spiritual coach or a mentor or you pass on what you've learned to somebody else. Now those eight stops along that track, the reason I like them is those are all things that I need to keep working on as a pastor. In other words, these are not. this is a track you never stop. You never stop running it. In other words, you're not like, oops, I'm, I'm finished. I just got to stop number eight. No, no, no. This is an ever-going, lifelong, figure-eight type of a track that you keep running because you know you want to you go back to where you began and, and grow deeper in your understanding of Jesus and His grace and grow deeper in your knowledge and growth and, and, and belonging and calling and, and serving and sharing. And you just keep running this thing. So here's the deal. In the coming year, we have a, we have a dream of creating a greater emphasis on helping you do this. And my commitment to you is that our, our leadership is committed to putting in place some new things where some of you get trained to coach people to do this. And I think that can be one of the most exciting things at Seacoast. So just let that seed kind of take root and think about, hey God, how do you want me to better run this track and God, maybe you've given me some coaching skills and experience where I could be a spiritual coach to help somebody else be encouraged to keep running this race. Make sense? If it doesn't, hopefully it will. So as you move into communion, to me it's a perfect way to close this service and this sermon. Because as we go to the Lord's table, what are we reminded of? As we go to the Lord's table, here's what it does. For me, it takes me back to the beginning of today's message. Because there was a day in which by the grace of God, He paid the biggest price to draft you onto His team, to give you life through the blood of Christ, the body of Christ, on a cross given for you, that you might become a player, not a fan, but a fully devoted follower of Jesus, a player that can make a difference in your everyday world. That's my dream. So as you move into communion, it'll be a time in which you can sit, reflect. In fact, there's just a chance for you first to just sit and worship quietly Spend a little personal time with God and say, God, where do you want me growing this year? Who do you want me coaching this year? Or where can I find my niche as I seek to go and make a difference in my everyday world? Spend some time to reflect on that and all that Christ did to give you life. Then when you're ready, approach one of the four tables and serve yourself the Lord's table. We'll have a prayer team also by the cross. If we can pray with you, we're, we'd love to do that. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the life you've given us. Thank you that it's all by your grace.
Father, I thank you that you drafted us not because we were great players. You drafted us not because of anything within us. But your draft was a gift of grace. You adopted us into your family. You chose us before the foundations of the earth. As an act of your will and as an act of your grace. So Father, help us now. Help us to train hard. Not because we, uh, we do it to earn anything from you, but we do it out of love for you, appreciation for all that you've done to bring us onto your team. We offer ourselves to you in worship. We offer ourselves back to you as we partake communion in Christ's name. Amen.